very confusing for people coming uh, across the ocean to learn it. Uh, we use oxymorons to provide new meanings to something. For, for instance, we say things like, I was on a working vacation. Come again? This doesn't sound like a vacation at all. Are we, we say, you know, please pray for my wife. She has poor health. Well, if she has health, that's good, but if she has poor health, okay. Or, or someone tells you something, and we respond, oh, that's old news. Again, these, these terms just seem normal because we use them. Or, or, or God forbid, you get into a little, uh, little, little fight at home, and, and you say nothing because it, it, they, say, they say women are crowbars and men are clams, and so the men clam up, and the wife looks at you and says, your silence is deafening. I've never heard this one, this next one, but I just thought it was, it was fun and I wanted to say it. Have you ever heard someone say you're a cheerful pessimist? <laughs> I've not. <laughs> I want to meet that person. Shakespeare was certainly not the first person to use them, but he was among the famed Greek poets known to sprinkle oxymorons throughout his plays, his poems, and sonnets. And in Romeo and Juliet, in Act 1, Scene 1, which I'm sure many of you have read or watched, he uses a staggering 13 oxymorons in a single dialogue. And in the scene, Romeo is processing the pain of unrequited love or unreturned love. And he uses these words. He says, why then, O brawling love, O loving hate, O anything of nothing first create, O heavy lightness, serious vanity, misshapen chaos of well-seeming forms, feather of lead, Bright smoke, cold fire, sick health. Some of you have already checked out. Still awakening sleep, that is not what it is. He, he then concludes with this confusing tongue twister by saying, This love feel I that feel no love in this. Shakespeare is depicting what it feels like to love somebody and not have that love returned. The, the pain, the disappointment, the emotions it provokes. Maybe you've been there where you, you've leaned into love only to have somebody pull away. You were vulnerable, you were authentic, only to have that used against you. And he uses contradictions of the oxymoron to describe this. Uh, Jesus understood this feeling all too well. Now, now, he didn't use oxymorons because he completely was comfortable with it. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Je Jesus saw the need. He saw the weariness. He saw that there was people that were empty, they were searching, they were hurting, they were hurt. Some of them had ailments. And Scripture records this, this deep, overwhelming compassion that he felt. So, so deep that it moved him to action. It, it moved him to teach. It moved him to heal. It moved him to respond. He was moved by compassion. Now, I want you to understand something. This was the same multitude that would reject and criticize him. This is the same 
multitude that most of the time were only after what they could get from him. They wanted the bread. They wanted the miracles. They wanted the good stuff. And ultimately, this would be the multitude that would cry out, crucify him. And when he saw them, knowing the beginning from the end, Scripture says he was moved with compassion. Paul records this compassion when he says, but God demonstrates his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's that's what true compassion looks like. I I don't think we can talk about what the church needs to be until we can see a complete picture of what we should be. It was compassion that didn't wait for us to get it right. It was compassion that, that, that didn't wait for us to respond with acceptance. It was compassion that realized some would reject, some would, would abuse. For Jesus, it was compassion that guided every decision. It was compassion that led him to a cross. It was compassion that would have him look down from that cross and say, Father, forgive them. Scripture calls this unconditional love. That, that's what that word love means. It, it's agape It's not brotherly love. It's not romantic love. It's an unconditional love. Loving with the understanding that it may not be returned. Love that is not contingent upon what I get, but only focused on what I'm going to give. And all at once we see this, and I'm going to drive this point home for a little bit. That true compassion is given without conditions. True compassion is... It's given without conditions. You see, true compassion is selfless. It doesn't keep records. It doesn't wait for you to make the first move. It's not worried about what's going to be reciprocated. Because true compassion is given without conditions. And before Jesus would ascend into heaven, he passed this responsibility on to his disciples and ultimately to the church when he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Well, how? If you love one another. He said the prevailing characteristic of the church would not be the way you dress. It would not be how much you know. It would not be the fact that you go to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays. It would not be the fact that that there was miracles and spiritual gifts and we want all those. He said, no, by this will the world know that you are my followers. By this will the world know that you're my church. That you love one another. Love for the things of God. Love for each other. Love for the lost. Love for the hurting. But I want you to understand something here at the beginning. This type of love we're called to, it isn't a feeling. It's an action. John would say this, the half-brother of Jesus, 1 John 3, he said, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, true, true love, true compassion is not just words we sing or lyrics we, 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 we listen to. It's not just something you get in a Hallmark card. True, true love is not just butterflies you feel in your stomach. And there are some people that they feel they've fallen out of love with God because they come down to an altar and they don't feel the tingles. Love is not a feeling. It's a verb. It's action. 
Which means there are times when I don't feel like loving. Here's what I've come to learn. I just want to be honest with you. I, and I said something similar to this on Wednesday, but this is different, but kind of the same. I am really good, okay? My wife can attest this. She's not here, so you're just going to have to trust me. I am really good at showing love when people love me. I've kind of perfected it. If you give me gifts, I will say thank you. It just, you know, it's just what I do. I'll try to write a thank you card, and, 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 and nine times out of ten I will. There's, there's that one time I won't. But I'm really good at loving people that love me. My sisters, you know, growing up, every time they were good to me, I loved them back. There was times where we had to have conversations because they weren't being good to me. And so I had to, I had to show them what love was like. Well, listen, Becky, you have nothing to say in this matter. When people buy me food, when, when the person in front of me at Starbucks decides that they want to pay for my, I love that. I don't even know who they are. I'll never see them, but I just, something about my heart, it just explodes with love. And I think we've all perfected that kind of love. It's easy to love our spouse and our children when they listen. They act good. It's easy to love our brother or our sister when they're good to us. But, but true compassion we need to talk about today is loving others when they mistreat you or misuse you. It's loving others when, they, when they've lied, when they've relapsed, and when they've deceived you. When you said, hey, listen, you said this would be the last time. And they said, ah, I tripped up. See, see, that's what true compassion looks like. True compassion is loving others when they've rejected you. And when you just find out that they've just been spreading gossip behind your back to other people. It's, it's loving those people. It's loving others when they've abandoned you in your time of need. And now they're coming back and asking for forgiveness. It's loving others when... They can't see past themselves. And all they are is selfish. And every conversation you have with them, they don't care about you because they can't see beyond their issue or their need or their hurt. You see, it's loving without condition. We, we say this term a lot, and maybe you've used it before. We, we say things like, hurt people hurt people. And we use that as a term to... To, to kind of articulate why sometimes we're on the receiving end of pain and, and why we're on the receiving end of someone's outburst of anger. But if hurt people hurt people, I wonder if healing people heal people. I wonder if healthy Christians heal people. That if somehow, that if I'm healthy, and if I'm whole, and if I am in a right sound of mind, that, that my health can be the, the healing balm that my brother or my sister needs. And that's the compassion that we want to show at this church. That, that's the kind of compassion that we don't just want to show outside of this church, but we want to be felt at every meeting, at every connect group, and every conversation, at every coffee appointment. Everything we do, we want the love of Jesus to be in the middle. It's loving without condition. We can start to find our, our answer in the story of the prodigal son. 
We ended this way the last time that the son finally comes to his senses and he says, I've had it better in my father's house. I'm, I'm going to go and ask just to be a servant. But how do you think it was coming home to dad after you've squandered everything? He rejected the love of his father. Now he desperately needed that love back. He, he, didn't, he, he chose to disconnect himself from the family and now he's wanting to come and repair the destruction. And I'm sure the son, if I could just be honest and, and know he's a human being, I'm imagining he plays scenarios in his mind as to what he's going to encounter when he gets home. Would his father be happy to see him? Or would his father slam the door on his face and say, I'm, I've already mourned you. You're dead to me. Would, would his father accept his apology or would his father forever hold it over his head? And Scripture tells us that while he was still a long way off, he, he hadn't even walked to the front gate, he hadn't even knocked on the door, but when he was still a far way off, the father saw him coming. And it says he was filled with love and compassion. And he ran to his son, he embraced him and kissed him. The interesting thing in the Jewish culture is, is, is Middle Eastern men did not run. And so when, they would, when Jesus would have told this story, the fact that he's running to his son would have caught the audience off guard that here is this dignified father, this man that, that, that has authority, that he has wealth. And when he sees his son, I'm not going to wait for him to come into my space, but I'm going to meet him and still his way back. And he falls on him. And he kisses him, which shows acceptance and forgiveness. It's amazing how the father responded, but, but I, I want to just show you what the father didn't do. Let's take a couple minutes to just explore the things the father didn't say or how the father didn't act. The first thing, the father didn't cast judgment. Nowhere in the scripture do we see the father saying, you should feel ashamed of yourself. Do you know your mother and I were worried sick about you? You wasted everything. I, I worked so hard to, 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 to work and to toil over. And, and everything I've saved, you, you wasted half of it and you just squandered it all. Scripture says instead he was filled with love and compassion. He met the son where he was at. This was, this was compassion without condition. Jesus shows the same kind of compassion when the woman is caught in the act of adultery. They, they, they found her, and, and according to the law, she should be stoned to death. And these men who, who want to test Jesus bring, him, bring her to him, and they throw her on the ground. And they're all waiting with rocks in their hands. And they say, what should we do? And Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Je Jesus elevated mercy over judgment. He elevated compassion over condemnation. And, and true compassion does the same. You might say, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know uh, the way they've mistreated me. You don't know uh, how they've abused me. You don't know the things that have been said behind closed door, the scars I bear on my body because of this person. And I don't. But Jesus does. And Jesus was the same one that said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How much mercy have you received? Think about your life. Think about the times you've messed up. Think about the times you've turned your back on Jesus. 
How much mercy have you been the recipient of? David said his goodness and mercy follows me. He said his mercies are new every morning. That means I can't exhaust the mercy of God. And, and Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain. So is there a possibility we can cut off the flow of mercy? When we who've been the recipient of so much are the first ones to say, I won't give it back. I apologize, but I can't forgive you. You don't know what you've done to me. Here's Jesus on the cross, gasping for breath, trying to, trying to work through the pain and the blood loss and all the things that are taking place, and he uses his words carefully, and he makes sure that everyone hears him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Peter would say to Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us? Seven times? Give me a number because I want to be able to keep score. I want to be able to have a ledger against you so that when you mess up, I can say, okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, you're at six. You got one more to go. Jesus says 70 times seven. It's not about the number. It's about the fact that we should be uh, people who allow restoration and forgiveness and mercy to flow through us. It's compassion without conditions. Notice the Father, he didn't express disappointment or cast blame. You're correct, you're not worthy to become my son. He didn't say that. He didn't also, sometimes we always want to assign blame as Americans. We want to always know who is the person that, that caused this. He, he didn't say, did your brother cause you to leave? Was it the servants? I just want to understand who we can cast blame on. He didn't do that. He said, bring the finest robe. Put the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet. You see, the robe, the finest robe, it's not just a robe. It's the finest robe. This is the father's robe. This is the robe that is so nice that he puts it in a closet and it only comes out for special occasions. And when he wears it, people see this is so-and-so. And he says, this fine robe, I'm not going to put it on myself, but I'm going to put it on my son because he's not a servant. He's a son, and so you put that robe on him and let all the honor that should be on me, let it fall on my son. Then he said, listen, listen, the, the ring, the family ring, the thing that would be used in legal contracts, the thing that would be used to do business agreements, he said, put the ring on his finger. He's back in the family business, baby. He, he's not going to just work for me, but he can make decisions on my behalf because he's not just a servant, he's my son. And oh yeah, I know he wants to be a servant, but let's give him the ring, let's give him the robe, and let's get him some Reeboks. Because I know a servant in those days would be barefoot. And he says he's not going to wear those, those, those worn out, torn out shoes. No, put some nice shoes on him. And so when he goes to the next event, I don't want anyone looking at him and saying, oh, now I see where he falls in the pecking order. No, they're going to see a son restored to his place of position and authority. It's compassion without conditions. Paul would say, brethren, if you see a, a, a man overtaken with a fault, you who are spiritual. That's the key word in this sentence. You who are spiritual. So if you're carnal, you won't, you won't restore such a one. But you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
understand compassion champions reconciliation. Compassion celebrates restoration. Compassion says, yeah, yeah, they're coming back to church, and I know when they left that they said a lot of mean and hurtful things, but I'm not going to even worry about that. They're back. And, and, and for those of you that are watching on the live stream and you would think, I've walked away from God and I could never come back to this church, I want you to know we're going to throw a party when you come back. You don't have to worry about what you, what you said. You don't have to worry about what you've done. You don't have to worry about how you left things. Nothing's awkward. You'll come back to the house of God and we'll be ready to greet you with open arms. I have to hurry. He didn't minimize or avoid what happened. I want to also say this. He, he, he didn't brush it under the rug. He didn't say, we're not going to talk about it. No, no, he said, my son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Sometimes we think the best thing to do is just minimize it and, and forget about it. No, no, we welcome people back with open arms, but there might be a time where we have to sit down and have a conversation and say, hey, listen, when you left, you said some things. Let, let's restore things fully, because I don't want there to be anything between you and me. Last thing, he didn't compare or compete. You think you had it bad in the pig pen, son? We, we got to be careful here, brothers and sisters. We really do. I wanted to remove this point from my, my, my sermon today, but it, I just felt like I had to keep it in there because so often, if we're not in a healthy place, when, when someone comes to us and they're hurting, we feel like the way that we sympathize with them is telling them our issues and how somehow we've had it worse than they. And by doing that, we minimize what they're going through. Oh, you're sick? Well, let me tell you how sick I've been. Oh, oh you're going through a storm? Let me tell you about the storm I've been through. And we feel like we have to one-up our brother and our sister, and we don't. Empathy says, I may not have walked in your shoes, but I felt the emotion that you're feeling, and I can sit with you. You see, the second thing uh, about compassion, actually in the Latin word, compassion means to suffer together. So compassion really is suffering together. And, and Enrico talked about uh, Job today. And, you know, I, I've never liked Job's friends. Let's just be honest. They've always irked me. I've always found them irksome. And, and for the longest time, I've been wanting to preach a, a message on Job's friends because th these cats think they're going to come and help their brother and they spend chapter after chapter just telling him why what he did is a, is a result of his sin. But, but realize what they did the first seven days. It, it said it, that they made an appointment to come to Job to comfort him. And they said when they saw him from afar off, uh, they, they saw how disfigured he was and they sat down with him and they tore their clothes and for seven days, they said nothing. You, you want to know something? When Angie was at her worst, and I remember a couple of the stints when she was in the hospital, and um, my emotions were all across the board. Her emotions were all across the board. And, and if I'm being honest, during those couple years, there were some, some doozies of things that were said to us from friends, from family, church members, you know. People accused us of having secret sin and accused us of, of being in marriage difficulty, and, and that hurt, and sometimes we just pushed it off. 
But, but the, the greatest things that were said to us, I remember a, a brother that called me from another state, a, a man who you would know his name if I, if I said it. And if anyone had the ability to say something harsh to me and I would have received it, it would have been that person. And know what they said to me? They said, I have nothing to say. I just wanted to call and tell you I loved you. And for the next five minutes, I vomited on them the doubts and the frustrations and the anger that was inside of me. And know what they did? They didn't rebuke me. They said, man, I can't imagine. And they cried with me on the phone. And those that came to the hospital would, would, would hug us, bring meals to us. That, that's how we suffer together. It's not that I have to understand exactly what you're going to, but I can sometimes just come and, and sit with, with Jay and say, i got nothing to say, man. I know I'm pastor and I'm supposed to have all the answers, but, but in this situation, I don't know. But we're going to trust God together. And that's what compassion looks like, is, is we bear one another's burdens. That's, that's Galatians 6 and 2, the very next thing. He said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That when you're hurting, I'm hurting. That, that when things are going bad in your world, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to take on what you're going through, but I'm going to be here to be a support and say, hey, listen, you can't do it on your own, but together we can get through this. And that's what the body of Christ should be. I may not understand you, and you may not understand me, but somehow, with the help of the Holy Ghost, we can come together. And if this is the body of Christ, that being together in the body, there's properties that are healing properties. We may not find the answer, but we can find strength. We can find help. So what does that look like? Sometimes that looks like making a meal for someone. Sometimes that looks like just showing up. Showing up at their house. Hey, you've not been at church in a while. I just wanted to drop by. How are you? Yeah, you got a sermon. Yeah, you want to rebuke. No, 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 not time for that. It's time to show love. It's time to show compassion. Compassion is suffering together. The last thing, I'm coming to a close shortly. The, the last thing is that compassion, true compassion, is... True compassion has boundaries. I, I wanted to remove this one from my message, but I felt God told me I couldn't. You see, we can't truly connect with someone unless we know where we end and they begin. Someone said boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. And you might think that boundaries in the church are selfish, but they're not. It's imperative for you to know what's important to me and for me to know what's important to you. You see, compassion with boundaries says, I love you, but I won't enable you. I love you, but you're going, it always bothered me, but the father didn't run after his son. That the father didn't send his servant or the older brother and say, go find your brother and figure out where he is. And if you have to, just take hold of him and drag him back. No, he said he made his decision. I'm going to let him go. True love sometimes says, I love you and you made the decision. And boundaries is me respecting your decision. I'll be here when you're ready to come back. 
I'll be here when, when, when you need someone to call. I'm not going to ignore your phone calls, but, but you said you wanted to leave, and I'm going to let you leave. You, you said you wanted to engage in this behavior, and now you have to face the repercussions, and I'm not going to bail you out. Parents, this is something that we have to grasp. Our kids, as they grow up, they might make mistakes. And true love is not us coming to their rescue every time and letting them know that there are no repercussions for mistakes. True love says, you did this. I remember growing up, Ellie, when she was younger, she was having one of those days and she was doing something. I said, honey, if you do it again, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to give you a spanking. I'll say what I said. You're going to get a spanking if you do that again. And even before the words were out of my mouth, she did it again. And then she realized I was serious. And she started weeping and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And I said, get upstairs. And I brought the spoon up there. Well, David, she said she was sorry. No, I'm a man of my word. And I spanked her and I said, honey, there are boundaries in this house. And you crossed over a line. And so there was a repercussion for it. I love you, but I can't fix it. I, I love you, but this is where I draw the line. I love you, but we won't be able to help you today. But, but you're the church. You're supposed to help everyone anytime. Uh, sorry, sometimes boundaries say you got yourself into this mess. You're the one who decided to, to run up your credit cards, and we love you, and we're going to try to help you the best we can. We're going to give you financial help, but, but our love is not going to be us writing a check to bail you out. Love has boundaries. Compassion with boundaries is helping you with what you cannot carry. It's not helping you with what you won't carry. And I know I just said and read the verse that says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But in verse 5, Paul clarifies and he says, for each one shall bear his own load. And so it tells me that there are things that I cannot carry and I need a brother or a sister or a family member to come across and help me with. But there are also things that I can carry. Scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That, that, you know what that means? That means I'm not your savior. I can't drag anyone into heaven. But each one of us will stand before God and we will give account to the life we lived. And so I can preach the truth, I can counsel, I can teach Bible studies, but I'm no one's savior, and you're no one's savior. Why don't you stand with me? I know it's a parable that Jesus was speaking, but, but really it was a fable that Jewish parents would tell their children. I may have shared this a couple years ago, but it's worth repeating. And this parable of the prodigal son was a lesson that parents would tell their children. The interesting thing, if you study out the story, there was one of three endings as to how the story would end. Ending number one, the son came to his senses and comes back to his home, and before he gets through the city walls, the elders of the city would be waiting for him with stones, and they would stone him to death for dishonoring his parents. And the, and the second version of how Jewish parents would tell their kids this, that the son would come back and he would knock on the door. The dad would open up the door, and the father would show disdain for the son. 
and he would reject him and slam the door on his face and say, you're not welcome here. And in the third way, the son would come home and he would realize that what he did to his father created a financial strain. And the family house is no longer under the ownership of dad. Dad's now living in poverty because of what he did. And I can just imagine that as Jesus is telling the story, everybody's leaning in and they're thinking, I wonder which way he's going to go. What version of this story is he going to do? Is it going to be the stoning of the son? Is it going to be the rejection of the son? Or is it going to be the despair of the son? Jesus gets to the end and he changes the story. Today, I'm not naive to the fact that there are some of you that are here today that you've been impacted in the past and it's affected the way that you love and show compassion in the present. You've been mistreated. You've been rejected. And conventional wisdom tells you, I don't get vulnerable because when I do, bad things happen. I only let people so close because when I do, they just walk out. Today, I can't change your story, but I want to change the way you view the story. That today at an altar, there's a God that won't slam a door in your face. Today at this altar, there's a God that says, come as you are. You may not be perfect. You may not have it all together. There's a God that says, yes, you're hurt. Yes, you're wounded, but come down to this place and I want to heal you. John would say this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because he did not know him. The truest love you'll feel today is the love of a father that says, Hey, listen, you're still trying to figure this thing out, but let me make you whole. And so today I want to invite you down to this altar that if maybe in your story is hurt, pain, and it's shaped the way you interact with others, I want you to come down to this place today and be the recipient of a father's love who loves you so much that he wants to heal you. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you. Would you allow me to pray for you today? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for all that you have done and for all that you are. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's the type of love that you show to us. God, that every time we fail, that every time we fall, every time we mess up, that every time we'd make mistakes, Scripture says you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. God, I pray today for every person in this room. You know the hurts. You know the wounds. Lord, you know the abuse. God, you know the words that have been spoken years ago but still ring fresh in their mind as if they were said yesterday. You know, Lord God, the things that have come from the hands of a friend, a brother, a mother, a father. Lord, and it shapes the way we interact with the world around us. Lord, I pray today, would you touch each person? God, you said 
You were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement. Peace was upon us and it was by your stripes that we were made whole. So I pray healing over every mind today. I pray healing over every heart today. God, I pray today, Lord, that you may not be able to take away the past wound or the past experience or event, but God, you can take away the pain by replacing it with healing. Your strength is perfected in our weakness. So touch each person today in the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name.